0: Another one of the pastors here at Blacknell, and it's my privilege to add my welcome to David's. It's such a joy to be gathered together for worship, isn't it? We come in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you come in his name for the first time, if you come in his name and you've been here more times than you can count, you belong because of Christ. That said, we know it's a little bit weird to be in a new place, and it takes some adjustment. So we take it as our job to help you get to know us. If you're a visitor, please make yourself known. Grab me, grab somebody down the pew from you, uh, and let us welcome you here. Today is the second Sunday in Advent, and during Advent we're going to be preaching from the book of Isaiah. Last week, our text was Isaiah 2, and we saw all the nations streaming to the mountain of the Lord. And this morning, we will get another look at life on God's holy mountain. Our text is from Isaiah chapter 11. We'll begin reading with verse 1. Someone holler out the page number when you find it. 690. Let's listen again to the word of the Lord. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox." The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever wondered if your pets will be in heaven? Have you secretly hoped that you'll have a chance to throw a bone to your beloved Fido? Or prayed that whiskers will be there to curl up in your lap? Christians have been wondering for centuries if and how the non-human creation will be with us in the resurrection, it's a matter of speculation, not doctrine, right? There's nothing said about it in the creed that we just recited. And spoiler alert Christians do not agree. The text this morning starts with the human community and its new king. From the line of King David, cut down as it has been, a shoot comes up. And we are meant to see not only a tree, but a dynasty as the Hebrew word for shoot is the same as the word for scepter. This king is endowed with greater splendor than even his ancestors David and Solomon. This king bears the spirit of the Lord. Isaiah offers a compelling vision of how the king will govern the world with righteousness, and then suddenly he starts talking about the beast of the earth. Did you notice that? The text turns from justice to livestock. Why? Now, if you are an animal lover, then I bet these verses got your attention. Or you may have perked up if you particularly hate snakes. Why does Isaiah make a sudden turn to the beasts? And what do the animals have to teach us about the coming kingdom? Isaiah presents us with six groups of animals. Each group includes a domestic animal and a wild animal. If you are familiar with the Bible, think for a minute about where wild beasts occur in the scriptures. Try to think for just a minute about where wild beasts occur in our story. When Israel left Egypt and wandered in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, she was attacked by venomous snakes, right? That's Numbers 21. The book of Judges tells us that Samson defended his parents against the attack of a lion. And then there's this whole weird thing about eating honey out of the carcass. That's Dave's sermon for another time. (laughs) You might have overlooked this one where a nameless prophet is mauled by a lion in 1 Kings 13. And perhaps most well known to us in the book of 1 Samuel, the young David assures King Saul that as a shepherd defending his flocks, he has killed both lion and bears. Israel as wanderers, settlers, and an agrarian society lived nearer to the wild than we do, right? I think it's safe to assume for most of us, though I don't know every one of us in this room, but I'd venture to assume that for most of us, lions and leopards are something you see at the zoo. Bears may pose a threat when you go camping, but in everyday life, We think of these sorts of creatures as, well, primarily mascots for a sports team or a Hogwarts house. It's a challenge to read this text and imagine these beasts as what they were, a threat. My perception has begun to shift some since our family started to farm. Last year, the lambs were born over two weeks around Mother's Day. Lambing season is the most exciting time on Bell Farm, so come out this year. Because during those weeks, we are checking the sheep constantly. Now, we are not checking the sheep because the mothers need assistance in birth. They are hardy. We are checking the sheep to make sure that the newborns get the immediate and care and protection of their mothers. For if they don't, they will get weak they will get lost, and they will become easy prey for coyote or even overeager carrion birds. In just moments, a little lamb could be hauled off and torn apart. For the herdsman who has habituated herself to be constantly on the lookout, at first glance, Isaiah's vision is a nightmare. A wolf joins a flock of sheep. A kid goat cuddles with a leopard— the cow and the bear share food and put their young down to sleep together at night. If you skimmed over this quickly, you might register cute and unusual pairings of animals. But Isaiah is doing more than a mashup. He isn't simply asking us to imagine, huh, what would it be like if an octopus and an antelope could be side by side? No, pay attention. Isaiah pairs juveniles with predators, unsuspecting baby animals with those who would kill them, which in any normal circumstance would be a bloodbath, but not here. There's no harm or destruction, no death or bloodshed on the Lord's holy mountain. There is peace And peace, as we saw in our text last week, is more than an absence of conflict. True peace, or shalom, means right relationships. As Isaiah sees it, peace is more than sturdy fences to keep the predators away. Peace is membership in the same flock. The beasts are not excluded from God's holy mountain— They are changed. Isaiah sees predators reformed, killers without the instinct to kill. As in the human community, so it has become for the beast, the strong no longer prey on the weak. The lion eats grass. The child leads the lion. The infant sits down to play by the cobra's den. There is peace between man and beast, Even in the animal kingdom, no more blood is shed. Genesis 3 pronounced enmity between the serpent's offspring and the son of Adam. But as Isaiah gazes at the mountain of the Lord, he sees that Eden's curse has been removed. Creation, all creation, even the beasts have been made new. At Christmas, we remember... Christ came for no less than this. He is not only the scion of Jesse and the son of David. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus marks a new beginning for humans, yes, but for all the earth. While he lived, the beast attended him. He turned water into wine. He subdued the wind and the waves. Creation fulfilled its calling in the Lord's hands. With his death, Christ broke the chain of death. And when he rose, God's new world burst forth from the tomb with him. As the apostle Paul exclaimed in his letter to the church in Corinth, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Now, we don't know exactly what this will look like. We have plenty of questions about our own resurrected bodies, don't we? And we have even more questions about the future of non-human creation. One of the great doctors of the church, Thomas Aquinas, just couldn't quite get his mind around it. He presumed that if animals lacked immortal souls, he just couldn't imagine them in eternity. But plenty of his own students, And texts like our scripture today give us reason to hope for something different. They give us reason to wonder and perhaps even encouragement to do so. Do you know that French Christmas carol, The Friendly Beasts? If you don't know it, go home and look it up and listen to it in Johnny Cash's deep bass voice. Each of the verses in the song is sung from the perspective of an animal who the person imagines was there on Christmas night. Each animal offers something to the Christ child. So the donkey gives Jesus the manger, the cow gives him the hay, the sheep gives him his wool, and the doves sing a lullaby. It's really sweet. And I admit that at one time I had kind of written it off as the ultimate holiday sentimentality. But now I think it's actually someone using their holy imagination to recognize something that we might easily miss. That all things, both man and beast, will yield to the reign of the righteous one. And perhaps we need to wonder, to imagine more of what that might mean. This is the time of year, friends, when we are recalibrating our clocks. I'm coming to think of Advent as the church's daylight savings time. We remember the birth of the Christ child, but we also look forward to his return and to his final reign we lean forward towards these unbelievable visions of Isaiah. And the question for us is, how do we keep time with God's good future now? One temptation would be to dismiss Isaiah's vision and just give up on this whole peace on earth thing. Another temptation would be to live ahead of time in ways that overestimate or distort our calling in the present. Friends, we are not yet in this peaceable kingdom. Already this morning, I have yelled at the dog and seen the crumbs on the counter and thought, oh, we're going to get mice, and I am not going to welcome them. It is foolish and even dangerous to try and live ahead of time. You might say that's the problem of those who, following Jesus' words in Mark 16, insist on snake handling as the sign of anointed ministry. They are trying to take Jesus' words seriously, but they're also living ahead of time. So don't go home and say, the preacher told me I can play with poisonous snakes. I don't think that's our response to Isaiah's vision but what should our response be? Unlike earlier readers of the Bible, we don't live with a particular fear of wild beasts, unless you count being driven mad by deer and mosquitoes. More often than experiencing the beast as a threat, we're told that we are a threat to the wild beast, endangered species. Let me give you an example that perhaps some of you remember from the news. There was a decades-long controversy over the protection of the spotted owl in the Pacific Northwest. Do you remember this? The enforcement of a government mandate to protect endangered species cost thousands of jobs in the logging industry. So working-class families protested, families first, owls last. An environmentalist pointed to dwindling habitat and worried about decreased numbers of offspring. Do you see what we have here? It's a modern version of the ancient conflict between man and beast. But the threat is not life and limb, but economic prosperity. And Isaiah doesn't offer us neat policy solutions. But he does ask us not to get locked into this age-old conflict, but to see things differently, to broaden our vision. On the one hand, there is no pristine nature that is distinct from and must be protected from humanity. There is only one creator and one creation. And the creation includes humans alongside animals and plants and everything else that God has made. The primary distinction isn't between humans and nature, but between God, who's uncreated, and everything else. And the fate of everything else, all people, the poor of the earth, the animals. Well, our fate is all bound up together under the righteous reign of God. There is no pristine nature that must be protected from us. But on the other hand, humans cannot exercise our God-given dominion as an excuse to use the world and its creatures as we please. Instead of exploiting the natural resources of creation, we fulfill the creation mandate when we humbly seek to live in harmony in a way that prefigures the peace that only the creator can bestow. That's how one commentator put it. We prefigure the peace that only the creator can bring. Unlike the beasts of the earth, we're given an imagination for shalom, for right relationship at every level, an integral ecology of wholeness and harmony between God and everything that God has made, And so, as stewards of the earth, we, of all creatures, are to be most committed to God's peace. On the big picture, that raises questions about resources that are not easy to answer. In the nitty-gritty for you today, that might mean questions about whether you eat animals, and if so, how, and how much money to invest in your pet or to give to the poor, The gospel tells us that when Christ was born, angels came to the shepherds, and the shepherds were watching their flocks by night. The shepherds were out in the dark and cold because they knew all too well the threat of the wild beasts. They would not allow their lambs to lie down to sleep with a wolf or a leopard. To these humble men, the heavenly host appeared, proclaiming what? peace. Luke tells us that the shepherds hurried off to see the child and they returned praising God. But did you ever wonder, what did the shepherds do with their sheep? I figure they either left them unprotected or underprotected and then they returned praising God in part because their sheep were still there. (laughs) Or perhaps the sheep followed them into town. It's easy to imagine a few stray sheep by the manger, but what about a flock of 30 or 40 around the inn? Kids, go home and see if there are sheep in your nativity scene. And if there are, feel free to add a few more. Whether the sheep stayed in the fields or came to the inn, the sheep are not only a part of Isaiah's vision, They're a part of Christ's story, too. And Christ guarantees Isaiah's promise that the whole earth will once again be flooded with that creative power that brought the world into being. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have created us and that you have more wondrously redeemed us. And we look forward with wonder to the new creation, which you will reign. Help us, Lord, to live in time with you, to keep in step with your spirit. We ask all this in the name of Christ our King. And all God's people said, Please rise and body and spirit.